This podcast is brought to you by Intrepid Travel, the global leaders in providing experience-rich small group trips. Intrepid was founded on the idea that travel, if done right, can be a force for positive change in the world. They believe that adventure and an open mind can break down barriers, challenge stereotypes, and bring us all a little closer together. Welcome to another episode of That Time When, the series where we chat with people about moments, big or small, that change the course of their lives. Hi, I'm Jane Nethercote from Dumbo Feather, and this week we're hearing from William Stubbs about the time he escaped being eaten by a bull shark, which led to him committing his life to men's mental health. Look, it's a bit of a story. We'll let him tell it. A few heads up before we start. This episode is a bit sweary, so if you have sensitive ears with you, it might be worth parking the podcast for a later time. This episode also discusses suicidal thoughts. If you find yourself or a friend needing help, please go to lifeline.org.au or call them on 131114. Or you can head to suicidecallbackservice.org.au. My passion for this came from when, when I was I was 12. I had a pretty tumultuous uh, home life. I think things weren't too great in the family, and I, I got really sick. So I uh, came down with glandular fever pretty severely in a time when it wasn't all that common. And so I missed out probably two-thirds of the school year, and, and all I would do was just sleep. And then when I was awake, it was almost unbearably uh, tiring to do anything. Uh, and I was very isolated. And interestingly, what I know now about depression uh, and suicidality is that isolation and lack of connection is one of the highest indicators of somebody thinking about suicide and falling into um, chronic depression. And at the time, uh, being a 12-year-old, it's not that I had um, this thought of, I want to kill myself. It was that I genuinely thought that was just the only way um, to get out of how I felt and, and how horrible um, I was feeling. And there came a point one day where I, I um, came very, very close to taking my life. And it was only just through um, luck, really, that, that I didn't. And from that, it, it was something that um, depression that I experienced throughout my teenage years. So I was on probably half a dozen different uh, antidepressants uh, until I was about 20. Uh, and then, much like cancer, I, I kind of liken depression to cancer a lot, as a kind of an easy way to think about it. Uh, to me, the depression went into remission, and I haven't uh, been depressed. I haven't needed any um, health medication for how um, now, almost um, over 10 years, actually. It was just through chance that uh, a friend of a friend of mine um, had this idea for our very first campaign. And our mutual friend had um, known a little bit about what I'd gone through as a kid. And he said, hey, you should probably have a chat to Will. He's got a story to tell. And so I was asked to come along and share my experiences on the very first campaign, the Stop in the Fuck Up video campaign. Um, 
So our first campaign had a, a number of young guys talking about their experiences. Uh, we had a rather funny video, and then we had a rather serious video. And that started off this kind of journey. Um, but it, it wasn't, for me, something that I, I considered as a, a real career or something I really wanted to do until uh, I did kind of fuck up a little bit, um, which was uh, probably when I was in my, my early 20s, um, maybe 20, 24, uh, I was uh, planning a Bucks weekend for one of my, my best friends. Now, we had a group of about five guys, um, and we went away to um, my family's uh, property in New South Wales. Um, at the time, I'd, I'd just met my dad again after not seeing him for 12 years. Uh, I'd quit the job that I'd been in for about four years, uh, and I had absolutely no clue what I was doing with my life. Everything was changing. The relationship I'd been in for three years had ended, um, and I was almost broke, completely confused, and had, I really had no clue about what my life was going to be like. And uh, we, you know, on a bus weekend tradition, had been drinking a little bit. Uh, and we had a, a game going where uh, the groom could be was receiving challenges. For every challenge he completed, he received points, and the game was to see how many points he could receive by the end of the weekend. And he'd been doing really well. He'd, he'd, he'd you know, run up and down the bluff at the beach after drinking a few rum and colas. He'd let us cover him in spray tan. Um, but we went to dye his hair pink. He absolutely refused, and he, he got quite cranky about it. And being in the, the drunk state that we were, I said, oh, look, you know, I'll do any challenge that you give me. And so he said, well, okay, there's a river at the end of the property. Swim across it right now. If you do that, then I'll dye my hair pink. And uh, I had a little bit to drink, so I said, sure. Um, forgetting that it was two in the morning. Um, it was winter. Uh, so I, I marched down there and jumped in started swimming across. One of my, my friends joined me. He was a much better swimmer than I am. And so I was struggling even to get across the, the river. And about halfway across, we heard one of our friends on the shore shout out, uh, maybe just swim a bit faster. That was an odd thing to say. I'm doing the best that I can. Um, but I kept going, kept going, and, and uh, got to the other side and caught onto the, the sand and looked around and they had a spotlight on the water. And then I saw uh, in the water a fin. And another fin. Uh, it turned out that we'd uh, woken up the pool sharks. There we were, sitting on the edge of this, uh, this river, in the middle of the countryside. Uh, we were now on an island, essentially. Um, it did connect to the main road, but it was like three kilometers of pitch black farmland to navigate through. You know, we were just in, um, well, I was in, in life for short, so my friend was completely naked because it was a crazy bucks weekend. And uh, we had to figure out what we were going to do. And so the guys on the other side of the shore uh, went to try and find a solution. I just sat there. And I remember thinking, you know, and I was a little bit, um, I was exhausted. I was um freezing cold, the cold that ever been in my entire life. And I was huddling on, on the side of the river and I just was given this moment where I started to think like, what the hell am I doing with my life? And I started to think about everything, you know, the fact that I, I just met my dad again, um, the relationship had ended, uh, the job that I'd had had finished. And I, I started to wonder what was gonna be next? What was I gonna do? 
and I started to realize that how I was feeling about life was it was it wasn't right. Like it was a little bit odd. Um, it, it wasn't what I thought I should be doing. It didn't feel really completely fulfilled. And I started thinking about well, what would I want to do if I did get out of this? Um, what would I want to do? And I thought about the things that made me the most happy or the most fulfilled in life. And there was a moment uh, a couple of years earlier where I, I spoke for the first time at a conference. Um, and I was the last speaker of the day and I was completely terrified. And um, there I was and I, and I got up there, um, you know, sweating, uh, full of nerves. And I talked about what we did. I talked about stuffing the fuck up and our future campaigns and um, about what I... Um, believed in, in in terms of what we were doing and when I came down off that stage I was swapped by people and they were talking about how they had a teenage daughter that they thought was heavily depressed and, and, and how could they help her um, one mother talking about the son that she'd lost uh, a brother that somebody else had lost or somebody that was uh, recovering from chronic depression themselves and how much just me talking about it meant to them and that was probably, in a strange way, uh, one of the happiest moments of my entire life. And I, and I can't quite articulate why, but I think uh, it came down to the realization that I could help other people. And I was sitting there on, on the side of that, that river realizing that that's ultimately all I really wanted to do was to help other people. And that was the thing that I really, really enjoyed doing. And this was something that I could actually do. So eventually... Uh, we found a dinghy on the property and there wasn't any paddles or anything. So they, they took a, a shovel uh, and they managed to kind of row across the river in that. So we, we climbed in and we got to the other side and it was, it was all fine. Um, but I went to bed that night and I was just thinking, this is something I really wanted to do. And it was after that that my seriousness of the project became quite clear that I really wanted to make this my life's work. I wanted to make this my career. And um, it, 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 in retrospect, it's a hilarious story, but it did change my life. It made me crystal clear about who I wanted to be. I think for a long time, um, I was uh, trying to run from the feeling that things weren't quite right in my life. And so it's funny that it, it is, you know, it's, it's quite uh, amusing actually to think that it took a ridiculously stupid Bucks weekend, uh, getting drunk, almost being eaten by bull sharks, uh, to force me to stop and think about what I was doing with my life. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe some people have had much more dramatic, you know, the um, realization of epiphanies on the rooftops of uh, Tibet or um, in prayer or something. But to me, it was just sitting on the side of the river in the middle of the New South Wales countryside, freezing cold uh, in the rain and thinking how the hell I was going to get home alive or at least uh, whole to make me think about what my life was going to be like. And, and I should say, I mean, at the time, it, it wasn't like I had this clear epiphany as to this is who I want to be and this is how I'm going to do it. It was simply that I knew that I wasn't happy, um, thinking about what made me happy and that I should head in that direction. And from there, um, my life kind of took on this general rule, uh, which was if I don't have an exact 
plan as to how I'm going to become, who I want to become, or do what I want to do, that's okay. Then just think about the general direction. And then every life choice that I had to make, it was simply a question of, does that move me in the direction of that end result or not? You don't have to have all the steps figured out, but so long as you know that you're heading in that direction or away from it, then it makes decisions pretty clear. I think for me that the, the secret to being happy, essentially, is not worrying about shit. Um, yeah, sometimes you're going to almost be eaten by bull sharks, but it's, it's going to be okay. Um, but also, if you add value to other people's lives, whatever you can, you will be happy. I don't know how it works. I don't know if it's a complete malarkey or if there's a science behind it, but I've found that the more that you have other people, the more things just work out in the end. Thank you so much for listening to That Time When. And thanks to William for sharing his story with us. We're very glad you made it out alive. Take a look at the work William and his cohorts do at Spur Projects. They're on spurprojects.org. They run the excellent sounding fuck up night, which is a way for people to get comfy with their own mistakes. Sounds awesome. If you have a that time when to share or feedback, drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram with the handle DumboFeather. Or you can send us an email at hello at dumbofeather.com. The interview with William was conducted by Jane Nethercote, that's me, and this episode was produced by Lizzie Martin. For more extraordinary conversations, why not subscribe to Dumbo Feather magazine? We deliver worldwide.